It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Wednesday, June 3rd, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined as always by our tribe beat writer, Paul Hoynes. Paul, uh, we had a chance yesterday to speak with Indians Director of Amateur Scouting, Scott Barnsby, uh, on Zoom with a, a group of our, our fellow tribe beat writers uh, from his home in Huntsville, Alabama, where he's going to be conducting the, the Major League Draft for the, the Indians. Uh, upcoming next week. Uh, what did you take away and what were your impressions of Barnsby's comments and answers to the questions that we had for him uh, during our half hour session with him yesterday? Yeah, what I took away, Joe, is that, you know, the draft always comes in the middle of the baseball season. And unless you're, you're a publication, you know, really focused on the draft, you know, it's, it's an afterthought, you know, it's just uh just it's a, like a, a lead note to uh, somebody's, uh, you know, in, in tribe insider. And, uh, but now this is like, <laughs> this is like a main event. I mean, front page like news two, now, huh? Yeah. We wrote three stories on it. And this is a, the only, the only draft I can ever remember where these guys are going in blind. They haven't, they haven't scouted a player since, since uh, February or maybe March. You know, end, of, end of March was a game. End of March was when they got cut off from seeing video and, and you know, actually having interaction with the players. Was, was the, they haven't was been driving to, to games out in, uh, you know, Timbuktu to see some high school lefty that nobody else has seen. You know, so it, it's really a strange draft where you wonder, you know, I think, you know, just, uh, you know, the databases of teams, you know, the scouting reports, you know, old scouting reports, the, the film study these guys have done – is really going to, you know, that's that's going to determine who who can what team wins this draft. Right. And the the top talent in the draft, the guys that were going to go in the first round anyways are still up there. They're still regarded that highly and 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 the teams have all done their research on them. It's the the guys that are going to be taken in the third, fourth, fifth rounds of this draft that are going to be way more hit or miss than than some of these prospects that that are going early who are, you know, the Indians have had film on, if they're looking at a high school kid, they've had film on him since he was a junior. They know who he is, and, and that's, that's going to be the case. Yeah, and, you know, I found it interesting. Uh, one of our subtext, uh, you know, subscribers uh, sent, sent an email to us, and it said, like, uh, like two of the like, top five players in most mock drafts. The Indians drafted those, two, those guys in 2017 when they were high school high school seniors. Uh, 
left-hander Asa Lacy at Texas A&M, and uh, and Austin. I mean Austin Martin, an outfielder and a third baseman at Vanderbilt, and they drafted him real late. You know when they had forty rounds, but were were unable to sign him. So and now those guys are you know kind of in the top, at least in the top ten, the most most on most draft boards. Well, so it just you know shows me that they they did their homework back then. They they've kept tabs on these guys. Uh, they know who some of these these prospects are. It, like I said, I'm not as worried about the the first pick or that supplemental pick that they have, uh, the 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 competitive balance pick at number 36, I believe. So the Indians drafted 23 and 36. Uh, I'm not too worried about those picks. It's the it's the second day of the draft that you know those they have they have to be right on those. Look at look at the the rounds three four five guys that have, have made an impact on this Indians roster just from the 2016 draft. Uh, round three, you got Savali and round four, you got Shane Bieber. So yeah. there, there's, there are important pieces to be added to your, to your franchise in that round. And the Indians shouldn't be, uh, you know, taking it easy or taking it lightly. And I don't think they will. Uh, we talked to Barnesby for a good half hour. Uh, I, I put together uh, sort of a cut of some of his, uh, more interesting and more revealing comments uh, about the process and about what they're going to encounter uh, in this draft. It's going to be a, a virtual draft, just sort of like the NFL draft was. Uh, so here goes. Uh, we're going to we're going to cut to uh, Scott Barnsby and his responses to some of the questions from Cleveland media uh, during his Tuesday press conference. So over the last few weeks, we've had meetings uh, every day with our area scout staff and, and everybody else that has been involved. Um, so the preparation has, has been very similar uh, over the last few weeks. I mean, one of the things that we always pride ourselves on is just extending the timeline with the player. So after the 2019 draft, the next step was, okay, let's get ready for 2020. So fortunately, the staff did an incredible job um, working throughout the summer, the fall, getting no players. So we felt like we had a really good foundation heading into the spring. I was blown away the last few weeks by the depth of information that we had during the meetings, uh, just not only from the on-field evaluation, but also from the guys spending more time getting to know the players and, uh, and any other you know, people throughout baseball. So sure, our draft board's usually somewhere around 800 or 850 players. The first thing that we had to do was continue to expand our, our player pool. Uh, and so the countless number of people that were involved, scouts from all different departments, uh, we evaluated players on video. And then we continued to prioritize our time as things move forward. Uh, we recognize it's a, a five-round draft, but it's still tough to predict how things are going to play out. So as we operate, we want to be much more prepared. Uh, we'd rather be more prepared than less prepared. As we've had conversations with players and agents, many of them have mentioned just the job that our player development system has done. And that is really important to a lot of the people that we've talked to, just getting in the right system. So typically in the draft, they don't have a choice. Uh, after the draft, at this point, they will have a choice. Uh, it certainly has to match up. Uh, it's our expectation where we're going to have the opportunity to sign players, but we're still working through that, uh, still figuring out the specifics of the rosters as well. Once the draft is over, Major League Baseball has set it up so that no team can contact the player until 9 a.m. the morning of Sunday the 14th. 
So what that does is it gives the team, the players, an opportunity to opt out and basically write to or let Major League Baseball know that they don't want 30 teams calling them. They're going back to school, uh, which is, is certainly their right. Once we get to that point, um, for us as an organization, uh, we'll spend time. We have spent time. We'll continue to spend time determining if there are any players that we want to target uh, to potentially sign, and then we'll work through that process. Um, so there's, that's just one additional step that Major League Baseball has put in place. So it's not a free-for-all, uh, but you're right. It, it could be challenging um, with the number of teams that will want to try to sign players after the draft. Our expectation is that we're going to have that opportunity. I think not only does it come down to the funds, but it also comes to comes down to rosters and opportunities for the players as well. Um, the last thing you want to do is you know sign a player and, and not have an opportunity for them. So that's something we're still working through with player development uh, and the rest of the organization. I would tell you that our thoughts and I think the rest of the thoughts in the industry is it is a deep draft. Um, there are a lot of talented players in each demographic. And then considering it's a five-round draft this year, certainly deep draft this year, um, not sure how that's going to play out for next year as well, but we anticipate it being another deep draft next year too. I think, number one, we have a tremendous amount of faith in player development and that they can support anybody that comes into the system. So our job is to get to know the player really well and then hand off every piece of information we have to player development whether that's a high school player, a junior college player, or a college player, it's tough to predict. Uh, so, yes, I know how it has lined up the last few years, uh, but that is, that's not our intention going in. If we end up taking a college player, great. If we end up taking a high school player, we'll be prepared for that as well. Kids dream of this opportunity. Um, they also dream they can, you know, have a really successful senior year in high school or their final year of their, their draft in college. So, yeah, we feel for the players. I mean, certainly, um, you know, there's a lot of – uh, people struggling out there right now, and there's a lot of challenges. Um, so we get that, but uh, we do feel for the players, and yeah, it is a special time for them. So we hope that you know things play out. Uh, again, we'll do everything we can in, in the five rounds. Who knows how it'll play out after that? Uh, and then you know, uh, college baseball has expanded the eligibility too, so they have an additional year. So there are some other options for them as well. Okay, that was Scott Barnsby, Indians. Director of Amateur Scouting. Uh, Paul, obviously, he's very high on the Indians uh, organization in terms of the development, the player development uh, program, and the successes that they've had in the past with guys like Bieber, Plesak, Savali, Oscar Mercado. Uh, is, is that something that's sort of a, a way to reassure the organization, the fans, the players that if they do, you know, take a high school kid early, if they do take uh, a kid who needs to develop a little more that they've got the resources to to bring them along and and get them up to speed quickly. Yeah, I think so, Joe. I think uh, you know, as we've said before, the last five number one picks from the Indians have been high school kids. Uh, you know, it takes a little longer from them. Uh, but sometimes the ceiling is higher. They're they've got more talent than than a college kid uh, that may have topped out or be close to topping out before he gets to the you know the pros. So, uh, and you can also, uh, you can bring a high school kid up in, in the Indians way, so to speak. I don't know if they have that, but you can train them the way you want them to play baseball. And, and, and they, as they go up through the minor leagues, that kind of sticks. Um, the, the thing I'm interested in, in Joe is, uh, you know, they've got a $7.6 million bonus pool for the top five picks. 
And uh, after that, it's, you know, $20,000 a pop for a player, mm-hmm. any undra- undrafted player. So I'm going to be interested to see if they, uh, how they manipulate that $7.6 million. And if they sign any of their top six guys, you know, six, six players in the top five rounds for under slot value, and they've got extra money, and they can go get maybe two, three, or four of those uh, $20,000 a year players. Would it shock you if they're not able or even willing or even, you know, financially able to do any of those $20,000 guys? Uh, Barnsby wouldn't commit either way to saying, yes, we've got the finances to to go out and get two, three, four of these kids. Uh, is is that that was something that was a little concerning to me as I was listening was it that that target hasn't been sort of set yet they they don't have a specific goal or number of guys that they can sign beginning on Sunday morning I believe the the 14th yeah I I that was surprising and that's why I think you know they'll try to sign some of those top six guys for under slot value they, that'll give them some extra money and they'll be able to go go out and uh perhaps sign some of those some of the undrafted players um and uh you know I would think you know these are kind of tight financial times for certain teams I would think the Indians are one of them you know we've seen them cut payroll over the last three years we've seen them you know not sign uh you know not keep their free agents so uh you know it's obviously you know the the Indians have always been under Do- uh, the Dolan ownership, pretty conservative and, you know, trying to keep a budget, trying to, you know, keep things in line. So that would, it would not, I, I don't expect, let's put it this way. I don't expect them to sign like 10, 10 more guys at, at 200 grand a pop. Right. I mean, the Yankees, 20 can go grand out, a pop. yeah, 20 grand. Uh, the Yankees can go out and say, Hey, 20 grand, take it or leave it. And you're in our system. You're, you're a Yankee. Uh, they, they can, they can throw that money around. Like it's, not a problem. The Indians have to be a little more judicious with that kind of spending if they're even allowed to do it at all. Yeah. And, uh, um, I, you know, and, and then another thing that Scott said, Scott Barnesby said is, you know, you've got to have a place to put these guys, mm-hmm. which was really kind of interesting. I mean, in the, in the light, there's no uh, minor league season. Okay. You know, usually they take all their drafted guys, all the drafted kids they take, they they take and they bring them out to Goodyear. They go through physicals and they uh, last year they signed them all in mass. They signed mm-hmm. about thirty guys on one day. Uh, they were able to get all that done. So I don't know if uh, they're going to be able to do that this year or what what exactly they do. And and after they do sign, where do they play? I mean, yeah. do, they, do you just go home or do you you have some kind of you know fundamental camp that that they play inter squad games? I'm not sure. He did, uh, Barnsby did mention that they, Major League Baseball extended the deadline to sign these guys before they go back into the, the draft pool. Uh, like normally you would have, what, a, a couple weeks there? Yeah, in, I thought it was. Uh, he extend, the MLB extended that deadline to, to August 1st. Yeah, I thought year. it was June 15th, maybe. Right. You know, so July 15th, July 15th, I thought it was. You know, the old, the old deadline, maybe something like that. So you'd, you'd have about a month to maybe sign these guys, get them in the fold and bring them on, on board. Now Major League Baseball has extended that by another couple of weeks. To, and, and Barnsby cited, you know, getting physicals and getting coordinating because of the virus, you know, meeting up with these, meet these kids in different ways. So 
And plus, there there will be fewer of them, I guess, uh, this year with only having five rounds instead of forty. So, uh, obviously, a lot of logistic issues. Like he said, he's he's going to be running this from his his home in Huntsville, Alabama. That's that's where the uh, the draft headquarters, the war room, is going to be. And you know, it, it's it should be interesting. This is this is how the draft is how teams like the Indians build their futures it's how they stay competitive by hitting on the draft consistently if the indians aren't able to continue to do that as they did in 2016 and and re-inject that top talent every year then it, it's it doesn't you know it's not a good forecast for the team beyond uh the next few years yeah and, and they've had such a good run in the draft and they've done such a good job you know, from the sixth round down, you know, guys like Cody Allen, uh, Karen Chick, uh, Adam Plutko, you know, you can go on and on and on over the last, you know, 10, 12 years. So they've really, you know, been able to mine those lower picks and that's going to hurt them this year. That's not, not having those guys available uh, or not having those, those, you know, having the draft cut off, cut off that, that it really kind of, you know, hampers what the Indians do best. Right. Okay, well, uh, let's move on from our draft talk. We'll obviously have, have more to say about the draft and, and the prospects in the, in the coming week uh, with our, our continuing coverage. Uh, it'll be the first time we've actually, like, covered a draft uh, other than w- when we're not watching a game. Like you said, uh, usually we're, we're in the press box watching a ball game and just following along what picks are coming in. Uh, this yeah, year will yeah. be, be a little different. And this was supposed to be a special draft, too. They had changed it. They were going to, you know, move the College World Series back. What a day. They were going to run the, the draft, draft in Omaha. In Omaha. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was really – they were going to really upgrade the draft. And, I mean, they've been doing it the last three, four years. But this was going to, you know, kind of put it out front and center of Major League Baseball. And, you know, the pandemic uh, changed all that. Well, and the other thing that Barnsby mentioned just in closing is that with the draft being smaller this year, Next year's draft does look – this year's draft looked like it was going to be a deep draft. Next year's draft should shape up to be a deep draft as well. So, uh, again, if things improve and if things get better on the, the, the pandemic side of things, maybe we'll see uh, that special event like they were intending uh, in 2021. Uh, the uh, Speaking of the pandemic and speaking of uh, the virus – the uh, Japanese Baseball League was set to get underway with some exhibition games or is, is getting underway with exhibition games, but uh, there was a team in Japan that uh, had uh, two of its players, I believe, have a, a coronavirus outbreak. Uh, two of them were, were tested positive, and so now they're going to be missing an exhibition game. Uh, in, in, uh, that's how the, the league is handling it. Uh, what, what do you think of the idea that this – the viruses, even when they're trying to start back up, uh, you know, Korea's had a lot of success, but Japan now is is finding it not as easy. Yeah, I think Japan has had a couple false starts to the start of the season, haven't they, Joe? I think they've, you know, they've they've kind of had, you know, th- this is like maybe their second or third run at getting their season up and going, and it, it just shows you that, uh, you know, it this this thing is real and it's hard to contain. And uh, if Major League Baseball ever gets up and running, uh, the, the, they're going to be facing the same problems. You know, I think they've, they've talked about, 
you know, if, if, one, if a player tests positive, this is the Major League Baseball protocols, you know, they'll, they'll quarantine that, that person, uh, you know, and he, he won't be able to rejoin the team until there's two false, two, uh, two two false negative tests, tests in two 24 negative. hours. And, uh, you know, then they'll do the trace testing, whoever he came in contact with. But you know, so they're, they're prepared, but can you ever be really prepared? I mean, you know, we don't know. That's the great unknown about this. All right. The Yamiuri Giants, the uh, team based out of Tokyo, was the one that had two of its players test positive. Uh, and one of those players, Hayato Sakamoto, Japan's biggest baseball star, basically, the reigning MVP of the, uh, the Nippon Professional Baseball League. Uh, that would be sort of like Mike Trout testing positive right, <laughs> right during the ramp up to, uh, to whatever season opener and having to, to shut down, uh, you know, Angels training camp uh, because of that. Uh, think, about, think about it. That, might, make a, that might make a few headlines. I, I, I'd say so. <laughs> it, it, uh, Rudy Gobert for the, uh, the Utah Jazz testing positive. It's like, who's Rudy Gobert? Mike Trout test positive? That's a totally different story, man. You're talking about a guy making thirty-six million dollars a year, and and oh. he's uh, or or a small. And that's you know that's why all these guys you know the the, the opt-out option if if it's in the you know the the agreement whatever agreement these guys mm-hmm. reach you know I I think there's going to be a few players to take it. All right. Well, Trout's Trout's having a, a kid this summer. His his wife is is due any day now. I mean that or in, in a month or two. Uh, so yeah, that's, uh, something to keep track of. Something to keep an eye on is how does, how does the Japanese league bounce back from that and, and sort of recover and soldier on and, and will it sort of derail the, the plans that they have? Uh, we are still going back and forth with this, uh, negotiation between the major league baseball players union and the, the owners, the 50 game proposal now seems like more of a red herring uh, to me, I, I guess. Uh, you know, I, I was real concerned about it when I saw that uh, the first time. I saw, wow, 50 games, uh, you know, how do, how do you have a legitimate championship season with something like that? But the, uh, the discussion that I'm hearing right now is that that's only viewed as a, an absolute last resort and it's not a likely scenario for baseball. Uh, would you agree with that after, after having a chance to review some of the uh, – the commentary and the, the stuff that's out there. Yeah, I think so, Joe. I think that's probably, you know, kind of the hammer the owners are holding over the player's head, maybe just, just a threat in their back pocket. Um, and the players obviously want to play more games than that. And I think the owners want to play more games than that. The more games you play, the both, both sides make more money, hopefully, with, uh, with, you know, fans gradually being, you know, worked back into, into the ballparks. Uh, that would make more money for the for the for the team uh, for the team owners, but I think the the goal here the the finish line is getting to the postseason, you know, not not in a fifty game series, but or season, but in as as considering the uh, situation, you know, as close to a regular season as you can get, you know, right. with that behind you, then starting the, the the postseason to give it some legitimacy. You know, I was looking at uh, last year's standings, Joe, and uh, after 50 games, the Indians would have just snuck into the postseason, it, providing they, it was a, a you know the new seven uh, seven, seven games expanded 14 team playoffs. They 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 were 
they would have snuck in at 26 and 24 and Texas and Oakland would have had the uh, seven would have been fighting for the seventh spot at 25 and 25 with uh, Oakland having a better head to head. So they would have got in there. Yeah. And and that's sort of a, we, we talked a little bit yesterday about teams just hitting their stride at that 50 point, you know, you sort of you're getting a sense of what a team is and what a team isn't at at those those markers like you said every every quarter of the season just about so yeah at 50 50 games you only get what 10 Shane Bieber starts 10 Mike Clevenger starts out of that Probably, I don't know yeah. how uh how much of an advantage is the Indians rotation in a in a 50 game season I don't know yeah I mean it, it I yeah that's that's a great question you know, you don't know. I mean, is offense a better, you know, is the team with the better offense, do they have a better shot? But I, I don't know. It's 50 games or even 82 games, you know. What yeah. what separates those Well, teams? with 50 games, maybe there's more off days. Maybe you do get more starts out of them because they can stick to a five-day, you know, yeah, schedule. Yeah, that's true, too. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to start – you don't have to start as many guys. You, maybe you don't have a five-man rotation. Maybe you have a, a, a four- or a three-man rotation depending on the number of off days. But again, we haven't even, we're in a situation where we haven't even seen what a schedule would even look like. I'm sure there's formulas out there, but we, we don't even know where and when these games would be taking place, how long series would be, you know, how many, how many days would be a minimum before there's an off day, anything, if there's double yeah. headers planned in, we don't, we don't know yet. And that's, we, we, you and I talked before we came here, uh, started recording here. Uh, that's what it's, the the frustration is for us is that there's just a lot of unknowns and and we still haven't heard much from you know the league and the players other than this this constant back and forth and bickering. Yeah, and, and if you're a player, Joe, I mean, if we're feeling this way, think about the players. I mean, these guys are getting up at like five o'clock every morning trying to work out. After a while, don't you just roll over and go to bed and but go back to sleep and say, hey. Call me when you're ready to play. <laughs> well, I, it, there, there is a temptation there, but I think the the players who are at the top of their games are, are are the ones who are doing it regardless, no matter what. I cannot imagine Corey Kluber rolling over and saying, <laughs> yeah. hey, "Call me when, call me when you're ready to <laughs> uh, to play games." I, that that I just can't see. Uh, <laughs> a lot of regard for him. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to touch on uh, the the Indians history post that we had up today. Uh, Paul, you were there when Albert Bell and Fernando Vina uh, had their uh, little meeting between first and second base, and uh, Julian Tavares uh, subsequently uh, uh, touched off a brawl with the you know throwing at a a hitter later on in, in that game. Uh, what was your take on that whole uh, dust up back uh, with Albert and and the Brewers and? Uh, just sort of the the whole situation when the the two of them got got fined and suspended. It was that, that was a crazy night. Uh, you know, I, first Albert like turns Avina into roadkill between first base and second base with a forearm shiver. You know, and and Vina was you know like a little cocky little second baseman bounced right back up. But I think he was a little. He, there were stars flashing in front of his eyes. I I know they were swirling around his his head and. Uh, then you knew what was going to happen. They, 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 Albert had gotten had reached base in the eighth inning because he to got run hit. over Vina by by getting hit. Then in the ninth inning, they they hit him again, 
and he didn't do anything. But when Tavares uh, went out to start the ninth inning, he told him, you know what you have to do. And Tavares, to Mike Matheny, first pitch behind his head, and it was on. The, the thing that stands that I, I'll never forget is Joe Brinkman, the veteran umpire, went up behind Tavares to kind of calm him down and put him in a bear hug. He, he grabbed Tavares, and Tavares just flipped him over his head. And right on Brinkman landed flat on his back. And Brinkman tried to give him a – Brinkman tried to wrap him up, and Tavares flipped him? Yeah, to pull him out of a pile. And Tavares and Brink, weighed 110 pounds. I know. It, it stunned me. I mean, he just flipped Brinkman like it was nothing, like it was a professional professional wrestling move. And I, we would go over to talk to Brinkman after the game. He goes, oh, I'm fine. I mean, you know, Julian didn't – thought I was another player, you know, so – but he he eventually got suspended for that, and and Albert got suspended for you know running over Vina, and you know Joe, this is this is what it was like to cover Albert Pell. And, and that spring, he was he was fined fifty thousand dollars, which was at, at that time one of the biggest fines ever in baseball history, for a yelling at Hannah Storm the the, the postseason right. before in the World Series. Right. Then he he throws a ball at Tony Tomsick in April. Uh, the old, uh, the former, uh, sport, the great Sports Illustrated photographer who worked at the Cleveland Press hit him in the hit him in the camera, hurt you know, and uh, he 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 had to go to anger management counseling for that. Then on that same road trip, he gets into an argument with a fan in, in Texas. The fan caught his 21st home run ball, came to the locker room after the game to get an autograph for. Be- from Bell to exchange the ball, mm-hmm. and Bell Bell would Bell said that ball is mine and wouldn't give the guy an autographed baseball because he said you've been sitting up there in left field booing me the whole game. Why should I give you anything? So the wow. guy walked out, and that caused another stir. And then we go to Milwaukee, and you know it's like World War Three. It's it was, that was all on one trip, huh? One, yeah, and I mean that was. That was like it was covered. That was what it was like covering. It was his fifth suspension in a six-year span, and that you know it was like crazy. It was like it was. It, it never stopped with that guy. It was like, it, and and this guy was putting up like Hall of Fame numbers during that. Right. I was exhausted. I, I just reading those stories, <laughs> those old stories. I wanted to go to bed. I was so tired just thinking about it. Well, and and now it, in the years that followed, in the years that have passed, you know, you've actually had a, a good sort of rapport with with Albert. You you can feel free to like text him or call him, and and you've you've had a chance to talk to him on several occasions, right? Yeah, it, it it's crazy. It's uh, I, w- I remember the first time he called me. Uh, I think was oh man, I think it was when uh, one of the times he called me. I was driving up to Detroit for a series, and he calls me, and I think it was. When, I don't know if it was uh, when when uh, LeBron James may have been coming back to Cleveland. Oh wow! And uh, and he was he was saying, well, I hope the fans, you know, in, in Cleveland treat him better than, than they treated and me they treated when me I came, when came back, back with the White Sox. And if that was like the end of the world when he came back in 1997, I just remember money at him. And- yeah, I remember them dumping a bag of fake money over the left field wall. <laughs> yeah. That was. Yeah, he flipped wow. off the crowd. It was. <laughs> oh man! Well, like, like you said, he uh, Albert owes you, uh, you know, a couple of phone calls and a couple of, uh, you know, nice conversations after all the the uh, the torture of. of then, you know, yeah, that was years. like Albert Bell playing, uh, 
you know, Gandhi, the peacemaker, you know, and all he did was, was cause like a ruckus when, when he plays. Well, great. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, just uh, one of the great times to, to sort of be a fan and, and be somebody covering the, the Indians and, and Albert Bell sort of made it all that much more interesting. Hoinsey, uh, we're going to get going here on today's podcast. Tomorrow, though, uh, we do plan on uh, having a conversation, having a little more of a, a deeper conversation. Uh, about the the George Floyd protests and how all that fits in with baseball and you know the Indians part that they play in that as well so look forward to to having that conversation with you tomorrow uh, on our podcast and uh, until then we'll we'll talk to you again thanks Joe